0: Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, where the Lord has led us at this time to consider His Word expositionally as we work our way through the first chapter of the first epistle. 1 Peter chapter 1, I read to you verses 17 through 21, a five-verse sentence. 1 Peter 1, 17. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God. That raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. That your faith and hope might be in God. Amen Amen. Amen and amen. Father in heaven, open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law. And let us see the Lord Jesus Christ in all his splendor. And may the great, precious, price of his blood, move us to pass the time of our sojourning here in fear, in light of your holy, just judgment. We thank thee that thou hast given us faith. Now bless us to apply that faith, that our faith and hope might be in God, by seeing the gospel clearly, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Verse 17 is a wonderful verse of the Bible. The Lord has convicted me about this verse in the past so that four years ago I preached it to you in a sermon that some of you still well remember. And then I had it replayed to this church a year and a half later by video in one of my absences so that you could hear it again because of the fruit that it bore the first time. It's a wonderful text of Scripture. And it has most every single person here under its claim. Because it starts out with the words, And if ye call on the Father. Most everyone here has called on the Father. Have you ever prayed, Heavenly Father? Have you ever prayed, Our Father which art in heaven? If you have ever addressed God as Father, or ever worshipped Him as Father, the verse has a claim on you. Right. And if ye call on the Father, and then it goes on and describes where you stand before God. If you've called on the Father, this Father, this God, does not respect any person. He does not care who you are, by any social advantage, economic advantage, intellectual advantage, or any other kind of advantage. He judges according to every man's work. He does not care about your words. He does not care about your impression that you leave in public. He cares about your work, and he will judge it so that we ought to pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. If the Lord gives us 70 years, it's just a short little time. It flees away so quickly from us because we're just sojourners in the world. This time in the world is so short. And the older you get, I heard this all the time as a child and never believed it, the older you get, time goes faster. I used to reason time doesn't change. But it sure seems so the older you get and your life gets frittered away without the grace of God, to convict us, to make use of our time, it says to pass the time. You know, sometimes you have to wait for someone, and you may pass the time doing a crossword puzzle like in an airplane flight, because you're bored out of your mind, sucking down inferior air in a little tiny seat that's too small for you, with people around you that are whatever, and so you pass the time. But, you know, we've got 70 years to pass the time and, and we all pass the time because, you know, time just keeps on running on all of us, but we're to do it in fear. This verse is precious. Amen. This verse is stuck right where it is for good purpose. We have just been exhorted to gird up the loins of our minds, to fashion ourselves as obedient children unto the Lord Jesus Christ and to be sober and holy Because God is holy. And we are to remember something. This verse starts out with an and, connecting it to what went before and adding something in addition to it that God judges. And He is a unique kind of judge. He is a unique kind of ruler. You have never met a boss. You have never met a judge. You have never met anyone quite like this God. Not even anything like this God. He doesn't respect persons. Everyone you will meet in this world to some degree respects persons even though we're told not to. And this God judges according to every man's work. He doesn't take bribes and He doesn't care about words. He rejects all excuses because He's going to judge by our work. Therefore, we ought to pass our time in fear. This verse begins a long sentence and the judgment that it describes in the 17th verse is based on what's gone before because God is holy and it's based on what follows because God did not spare his son for you that's right god is holy mean meaning that he expects you to be holy and god paid the price of his only begotten son Therefore, He's going to have high claims on our lives for which such an expensive ransom was paid. Lord help us. And if he call on the Father. We've all called on the Father. This verse claims us. And since we've called on the Father, we better remember that He doesn't respect persons who without respect of persons... This is a character trait of a great leader. They do not alter their judgment based on personal relationship. They do not alter their judgment on the knowledge of the person being judged. They don't care that it's a family member. That is irrelevant to judging objectively and honestly. They don't care that he has been a, he was a friend in high school. They don't care that he might be able to provide a job for their children. They do not respect persons on any basis. The Bible would list a number of those bases on which we should not respect persons, and it doesn't matter whether they're rich or poor. We should not respect the rich man, and God doesn't, even though we might be able to pay for your altering of justice. We shouldn't respect the poor man, Because he's poor. Because that doesn't alter the fact either. He's still a criminal if he has committed a crime. And so the Bible says that God is without respect of persons. Men on earth, due to human weakness, due to deceitful hearts, due to emotional sentiment, due to family loyalty, due to greed, due to fear, due to imperfect judgment, don't judge like God does. God does not respect persons. No matter the situation in this life, we can sometimes leverage ourselves by appealing to their knowledge of us. Whether it's in school or on the job or even before a policeman or some other authority figure, God has no respect of persons. You of all men have nothing for Him to see to cause Him to turn a blind eye and overlook what you've done. You may be able to get away with that with others, but not with the Lord God of heaven. Children born to vigilant and just fathers know it is hard to avoid detection and punishment. But this father is different from all of them. God does not care one whit for advantage or superiority by your comparison of yourself to others. God does not care one whit for any excuse you might make. God does not care one whit if you are advantaged and superior or disadvantaged and inferior. It says, "...who without respect of persons, therefore you are a bland nothing before him except a person that has committed crimes against him." And even as a Christian, even as a Christian, if we do not live up to our role and position that he's given us by adoption as his children, he's going to judge us in chastening." And chastening is called judgment in the Bible. Chastening is called affliction in the Bible because it's severe and it's painful. And so when we call upon God as our Father and we are His children by regeneration, He will judge us if we don't live like His children. He's a Father that expects obedient children as verse 14 described us. It goes on to say that He is without respect of persons, and He judges according to every man's work. There's two issues in this next phrase that we want to grasp. He judges. Everyone today, for the most part, believes that God is this nebulous spirit somewhere, like a big cotton candy granddaddy, who wants to do nice things for us. He does nice things for us every day, like today by sending that sunshine, and in recent days sending us some rain. He sends both upon the evil and the good to show that He is benevolent and kind, but that goodness simply accrues greater consequences when He judges the men who haven't given Him glory, and who haven't worshipped Him, and who haven't obeyed Him. He judges. And notice that it says, He judges according to every man's work. What you do. It isn't what you say. It isn't what you think. Most men consider themselves faithful men. Most men will say things, but God doesn't care. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 4 says, He that saith, I know him, speaking of God, He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's what the Bible says because God judges according to every man's work. What are you actually doing with his commandments? This God judges and he judges according to every man's work. He doesn't care how much you may have deceived others to think good of you or to say good of you. He does not care what you have done outwardly that does not have a pure heart motivated by love. This God, and this is his word, and I am his servant, the least of all his servants, but I am his servant. This is his word. If ye call on the Father, who without respective persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. This verse has a claim on everyone in this room. And don't you leave this room without humbling yourself before this great God and confessing your sins to Him and resolving and purposing in your heart that you're going to live for Him and obey His commandments as they are written down in the Bible. And so it says, pass the time of your sojourning. To sojourn is a word that we don't use very often, but it means to make a temporary stay in some place to remain or reside there for a while, for a time. We're just temporary occupants here in America, here in this world. Only a short period of time. All of eternity stretches before us, where we will inhabit a place forever, where we will never move again, where we will never depart again. We will always be there. But in this world, it is short. For those of you that are 20 and 30 and under, you know, you think you're going to live forever because you're always impatient to get to the next little milestone in your life, and it seems to come to you so slowly. But I'll tell you, after you pass a few of those milestones and you get on the other side of them and you look back, you say, what in the world happened? Right. Right. Time goes so fast. But there's time, and it's passing. It's passing. The time is passing. We were just here a week ago, but that's 168 hours ago. 168 hours has given time for sin to reach into your bodily organs and choke more of the life out of it. We are closer to the day in which time on earth ends and our sojourn is over. And so we're to pass that time. It is passing by itself. And there's all kinds of ways you can pass it. You can pass it playing. You know, last night there were various events taking place. There were multiple events in our church taking place. And there were events in the world taking place. There were football games taking place. And you can pass your time being an ESPN edit. You can pass your time being A professional addict. You can pass your time being a family addict. You can pass your time in a physical fitness, as a physical fitness addict. You can pass your time as a political conspiratist, conspiratorialist addict. Or you can pass your time in fear. And then fear affects every part of our lives. Fear of God dictates how much ESPN we watch and how. The fear of God dictates how we conduct ourselves in a job. The fear of God dictates what kind of parents we are. The fear of God dictates how we view political conspiracies. The fear of God controls and should rule our entire lives. The fear of God is not a paranoia. The fear of God is not a fear that causes us to run and hide in the trees of the Garden of Eden like Adam and Eve did. The fear of God causes us to run to the feet of God and take Him by His ankles and tell Him that we have sinned and beg Him to forgive us. The fear of God is totally compatible with the love of God. The love and the fear of God go together and we should pass the time of our sojourning in this world loving and fearing God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength strength. Amen. This is the word of the Lord to us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. Gird up the loins of your minds. Time is passing. How will you pass it? Do not get distracted, even with noble occupations. All you men should remember the outline entitled, a mighty man's life, because it breaks life down into 10 sections Ten parts. And we sometimes get distracted with the ones in the bottom half of that list rather than the ones at the top half. And the top one itself is our spiritual relationship with God. Past the time of your sojourning in fear. We've called God our Father. We better be well-behaved, obedient, loving, faithful, God-fearing children. Amen. That's the point of the verse. We have called Him Father. He considers it blasphemy when we call Him Father and we don't act like His children. Why are we calling Him Father and He's just a concept or a name for Sunday? Why do we call Him Father when the only time we mention Him as Father is blessing food before we gorge ourselves? He should affect our whole lives. Because the time that we're allowed to live in this world, we should pass it in fear and love of God. Your little jobs, your little aspirations are nothing. They're nothing. Your body is going to decay in front of your eyes until you will not want a mirror in your house. It's all vanity and vexation of spirit. And so we pass the time of our sojourning in the fear and love of God. Lord, show me your word. Show me your commandments. I will do them. Here am I. Send me. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. In fear, wanting to obey God and serve Him and love Him while our time passes. And I'm speaking to a mixed multitude a mixed multitude of the old and the young. The old know that what I'm saying is true about the passage of time. The young don't understand it because foolishness is bound in your hearts. I know I was young. I'm going to live forever. We would never say those words, but we reflect those words by our actions as if we're going to live forever. And so this 17th verse It's been preached before. If you want to listen to a sermon that wastes no time and moves efficiently through the preceding context, subsequent context, and the words of the verse, it's October 10th of 2010, dealing with 1 Peter one seventeen, And we've done that as well, again, here in the house of the Lord. This is the Word of God to us. It doesn't matter that we're in America. It doesn't matter that we're in the world. Listen, we're passing away. We're passing away. And that time that we have here, we ought to use for His honor and glory. Let's burn ourselves out for Him. Let's burn ourselves out for His church, His kingdom, and one another. This is what God's given us to do in the world. The Christian religion is very simple, only two commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What the Bible teaches can be summed up by those two commandments. And let's do it in the fear and love of God. Let's go to verse 18. Verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things. For as much. Now this is an interesting word that attaches verses 18 and 19 to verse 17. Now verse 17 has just told us to live our lives in fear. We should fear God. We should be afraid of displeasing Him. We should want to please Him. We should love Him. We should not want to displease God. And so we pass the time of our sojourning here in this world in fear for as much as. Now listen, we've already been given reasons to pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. We were given the reasons in verses 15 and 16 that God is holy and we better be holy. We've been given the reason in verse 17 that God doesn't respect persons and He judges according to every man's work. That's enough motivation right there. God's holy, we better be holy. God judges without respecting persons and He measures everyone on a performance-based scale. Is enough. However, the Bible wants to bring in another one. Peter wants to bring another one to bear and that is the great price that was paid for your ransom. Right. Amen. You were condemned to death. For those of you that have believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and proven that you are one of God's elect, you were condemned to death. Right. You will die a physical death but it is no longer penal. It is to get rid of our bodies and our fleshly nature. We were in spiritual death, but we were regenerated out of that. And we face eternal torment in the second death. That is a lot of death. We were condemned to death, but we were pardoned. But we were ransomed. But we were redeemed. And it wasn't with corruptible things. And so the argument is now raised in the beginning of this 18th verse. That you ought to pass the time of your sojourning here in the fear and love of God because of the great price God paid to get you out of the mess that you got yourself into. If, if you had been kidnapped as a child. If you had been kidnapped as a child and what is the man's name that I have preached? Charles Lindbergh. On this subject before, Charles Lindbergh's son being kidnapped is one of the great crime stories of this country. And Charles Lindbergh, after a while, paid a great sum to deliver his son in gold notes. Charles Lindbergh is the first man to fly a plane across the Atlantic Ocean, and he was an American hero and very successful businessman, and he had the money to pay. And so kidnappers crawled into the second-story bedroom of his house in outstate New York and took his little son. And with the exchange of some ransom notes, Charles Lindbergh paid a great price to get his son back, but his son had already been killed, and he was found by a truck driver in a ditch. One of the great crime stories, you can go read all about it nowadays by just typing in Charles Lindbergh kidnapping in a Google search box. That ransom didn't work. But I'll tell you, what if it had worked? What if it had worked? The little boy would have grown up knowing that his father paid a sum for him and he would have been affectionate toward his father. When a man is on death row and he's pardoned, He has a great sense of obligation toward the president, governor, or whoever else pardoned him. We have been pardoned. We have been redeemed, and it worked. The price that was paid was not corruptible things, as this verse tells us, not things that vanish away and disappear and no longer hold their value, but something that holds its value for all eternity. It will last forever, and that is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. For as much. For as much is a word that means in consideration that. Seeing that. In as much as. We ought to pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. Because we know something else as well. That we were redeemed not with corruptible things. But with incorruptible. Notice the position of this phrase. For as much as ye know, it is right after telling us to sojourn here in fear and right in front of hearing all about the precious blood of the Son of God. God did not pay 50,000 U.S. dollars in gold notes. That would not redeem a single soul. That would not buy you out of hell for one second. God redeemed us with the precious blood of His only begotten and well-beloved Son. And He expects those that call upon Him as Father, and by calling upon Him as Father, you are claiming the gift of His Son to be yours. You are claiming that you have been regenerated to be a son and a joint heir with Him when you call on Him as Father. You better pass the time of your sojourning here in fear and love because you are claiming that He spent His Son for you, but you're not going to live for Him past the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know, there's something we know by the gospel, brethren, and when we learn things by the gospel, it brings a weight of responsibility upon us. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 this morning we read, The grace of God hath appeared to all men, teaching us that. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so here it is, For as much as ye know, there is knowledge that comes from hearing the gospel that results in responsibility on our part. What are the priorities of your life for this next week? There's 168 hours. You say, I've got to work all week. Bless your heart. I pity you so much. Let's take 50 hours out of your week. We're down to 118. Well, i got to sleep. I'll give you 60. We're still at 58 hours. There's a lot of time. Is your priority when you're on the job to do this as unto the Lord? When you're sleeping, is it as unto the Lord to get up and attack the next day with the vigor of a son of God? Is everything you're doing structured around the fear of God? Because he's paid a great price for you. Notice what we're getting by Peter. You say, I thought Peter was an ignorant fisherman. He was, but he was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Whenever he preached, the learned Jews would listen to him speak, and they would say, this man never went to school. But we sure can tell he was with Jesus. That's what it says. And so look at this. Be holy, for I am holy. God doesn't respect persons and judges according to every man's work. And He paid a great price for you. And when you open your mouth and claim Him as your Father, you owe Him your life. Because He bought your life back. Can you think of a verse that says that, Jerry? How about Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15? For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then all were dead, that they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto Him that loved them and gave Himself for them. Does that make logical sense to you? That's 2 plus 2 equals 4, isn't it? I was condemned to death. God sent His Son Jesus who willingly died for me so that I can live. What should I do with my life? Since my life was purchased by the loss of the life of another, a perfect substitute, by the way, for the criminal that should have died, what should I do with my life? It should be lived for him who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me and gave himself for me when I was his enemy. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do I know that God loved me and gave his son for me by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, being baptized and living a life of obedience to him. And until you've done that, you don't have the evidence of eternal life. Many believed on him that will stand before him and be cast into hell because while they were in this world, they lived their lives for themselves. They passed their time in pleasure. They passed their time in prosperity. But they didn't pass their time in passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. For as much as ye know, when we know what God has done for us, we owe him our lives. Like the Apostle Paul. That ye were not redeemed with corruptible things. Redeemed. What does the word redeemed mean in the Bible? There are 17 different words that God chose to describe salvation in the Bible. Some of them are economic terms or financial terms like this one. Some are legal terms like justification. Some are relational terms like reconciliation. Some are familial terms relating to family like adoption. The Bible's a wonderful book. Amen. There are 17 different words that God used To help define the word salvation. So that we would appreciate all the facets. I call them the facets of salvation. Like we're looking at a diamond called salvation. And as we turn it, we see a different aspect of it brought out. And it's precious to us. So this one is redeemed. You had a claim against you. Someone needed to buy you back. The claim against you. What was the claim? Who held the claim? And what were the consequences of not paying it? Do you want to hear the answers to those questions? Who had the claim against you? What was the claim? And what did he demand for payment? The claim, because redeem means to buy back. To buy back from a claim against you. The claim was God's righteous condemnation of you to eternal torment for Adam's sin and for your sins. That was the claim. You just didn't have some earthly judge take his gavel and hit his bar and condemn you to the electric chair. You had God condemning you to physical death, spiritual death, and then eternal death because of Adam's sin and your sins. That was the claim. Who held the claim? Oh, God held the claim. The God that doesn't respect anyone and he judges according to every man's work, and your works already condemned you. The God that damned Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to three deaths for eating fruit he told them not to eat. That God. That God that drowned the entire earth of all ages, calling social status to a death by suffocation in the days of Noah's flood. That God had a claim against you. Who in the world is going to be able to pay off that God? Who in the world is going to be able to pardon their soul and deliver them from the death that He has proclaimed against them? It is a just God and a holy God. The Bible says no man can acquit himself. Psalm 49 would say that the rich cannot provide a ransom for their souls. No man can by any means redeem his brother. That's what it says in Psalm 49. No man can by any means redeem his brother. Well, how are we going to be redeemed? Well, it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, but you were redeemed with a precious thing in the 19th verse. And that was the precious blood of Christ. He demanded death. The wages of sin is death. So the claim was God's righteousness against us. The one holding the claim was the holy and just God that doesn't respect anyone and judges according to your work. And the penalty that he demanded, if it wasn't paid, was a threefold death. And we were bought away from all that. Uh, You couldn't have conceived it. You couldn't have paid it. He He didn't care if you'd have given the firstborn of your body. What if you had a son that was without spot and blameless, which no one's ever had? But if you had a son that was spotless and blameless, and then you had another one that was spotless and blameless, and then you had another one that was spotless and blameless, and and then you had another one, and, and you had seven of them. Let's say that seven's a perfect number in the Bible. You had seven of them, and you cut their hearts out on an altar in order to pay for your soul. It wouldn't mean a thing to God, except you would now be guilty of a sevenfold murder to add to Adam's sin and all your previous sins, and you would be under his claim. There's nothing that you can do. There is no price that you can pay. He he doesn't care less about the money in your pocket or the money in your bank account or the return on your stock portfolio, because he's the one that gave it to you in the first place. You came into this world naked without a penny to your name, and any penny that you have after that, he put it in your pocket. That's right? You didn't earn it. Are you kidding? Why were you born in America? Why were you born with an IQ above room temperature? Why were you born in a generation where you could get a job and your parents weren't standing in a soup line to bring home a piece of moldy bread for you? All of it was given to you by God. You giving a little bit of it back to Him isn't going to redeem your soul. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things right. as silver and gold. There is much more to be said on this subject, and we will say it after our break because we have other business at hand. O oh, brethren, before I leave this pulpit, verse 17, and if ye call on the Father, all of you have called on the Father, therefore the verse has a claim on you. God is holy, so he expects us to be holy. God does not respect persons and judges according to every man's work, so we better pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. God paid a ransom for you that his justice demanded of him, and it was his only begotten son. His justice said, there is only one way, there is only one way that these sinners can be redeemed, bought back from my claim. A perfect substitute with their nature must live a perfectly righteous life and then die a penal death as a substitute for them. Only then will I redeem them. God came up with the plan. God brought forth his son into this world, and then God forsook his son on the cross of Calvary, and that son willingly laid down his life. For his enemies that we might be redeemed. It is the most fantastic, overwhelming, impossible, unbelievable drama ever thought of. And God did it. Why? For his glory. Because because it's just beyond our comprehension. But we do believe it. Who by him do believe in God. The only way we believe it is because of the work the Lord Jesus Christ has done to cause us to believe it, as the 21st verse tells us, even in this same sentence. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.